And so if there was a theme of the Global Leadership Summit this year, it was a grander vision. And we had two days of incredible artistic performances like the one that you just witnessed. We had incredible days of, of being stretched, our hearts and our minds stretched around the idea of, of what could happen if this, what could happen if I embraced that? We had moments when in the quiet stillness, God was whispering into our hearts. So I want to take you on a ride this morning. I want to take you fast, fast, fast through what I learned at the Leadership Summit. And I want you to leave today with a grand vision for your life. My week began with a great trip. I was in one of my favorite places in the world, Camden Yards. I was there because the Yankees were playing the Baltimore Orioles. The outcome was not what I hoped for or expected, but it was a great game. It was just great to be in that great ballpark. And I was seated right next to the Yankee dugout. So there's my small group. This is what I do with a small group. I go to baseball games. So we had a great time together. And I was right next to the Yankee dugout, so close I could reach out and touch Derek Jeter. So close I could reach out and just tap him on the shoulder. So close I could, there's another shot. I guess I took a lot of shots of Jeter. Uh, there is Mark Teixeira. There he is. There is uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. There is Brett Gardner the fleet-footed left fielder, and there's the man, Joe Girardi. And uh, I was trying to talk to Joe. Uh, actually, I was trying to pray for Joe. Uh, the Yankees are having a really tough year. But what was great about sitting right next to the Yankee dugout, yes, I did try to get in the dugout uh, without success. I, I tried to make friends with the security guy. I tried to make friends with the usher guy. I tried to make friends with the bat boy guy. Uh, but none of it worked. But I was so close that I could hear all the, the sounds of the game. And one of the coolest things was, as all the Yankees came out of the clubhouse into the dugout right past me, Joe Girardi was right there. And here with all these guys making millions of dollars, premier athletes, this is what he did with each one of them. He stuck his fist out, and with each one, he said, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go, because nothing happens unless we go. Nothing happens unless we figure out we got to go somewhere. We got to do something. So my hope is that this morning gives us that opportunity to do something, to go somewhere, that something happens in your life. In two days, you're, you're dealing with hours and hours and hours of information coming at you. So I have distilled that into 20 minutes and seven segments. My first segment is Joseph Grenny. He's the co-founder of an organization called Vital Smarts. And this is one of the most powerful talks at the summit. I call it Crucial Conversations. Are there a few moments that matter more than any others? And time and time again, we found that there are moments defined by three dimensions that have a disproportionate effect on the durability of your marriage, the happiness of your marriage, the strength of your executive team, the performance of your organization in executing on its mission. And these are those dimensions. First, these are moments where there's some issue that's very high stakes to you. Second, you come into these moments expecting somebody else to disagree with you. That causes you to behave differently than you otherwise would. And finally, 
These are moments of strong emotion, triggered emotions. So those three dimensions, high stakes, opposing opinions, strong emotions, cause these moments to be different than any other. And the effect of how you behave in those moments carries on long past that moment. Now there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the fact that we have concerns and challenges, problems with other people. The challenge becomes how we handle them. See, here's the issue. What we know from our research is this. The big idea here, the first big idea I want to share is that anytime you find yourself stuck with a chronic problem in a relationship, a team or an organization, anytime you're not reaching the potential of your, your performance as an organization or a team or the potential of a relationship, there are always crucial conversations we're either not holding or not holding well. That's the principle. The diagnostic principle for us as leaders is when we find we're not achieving our potential to step back and ask, what's the crucial conversation we're either not holding or not holding well? To present it graphically, let's take a look at this. So I want you to imagine this is you. Now, the way life works is that as you're walking along and moving towards some super awesome goal, something you'd like to achieve, that's when problems begin. Many of us wish that we could create a life where we had fewer crucial conversations. How many of us would like that? Wouldn't you like to have fewer? The best way to do that is to have a meaningless life. <laughs> so as soon as you give up on super awesome goals and don't care about missions and visions and things like that, you have a lot fewer crucial conversations. But once you come to them, you have only two options. You can talk it out. That's an option. You can talk it out. You can find a way to absolutely honestly and absolutely respectfully share your concerns. You can try to find that way. But for the most part, we don't talk it out. If you don't talk it out, you don't get to vote on whether you do the second thing. You will do it. If you don't talk it out, you will act it out. It will show up in your behavior, and that will provoke behavior in response. And it always gets worse. Talk it out or act it out are the only two options available. See, here's the principle. What we know is that crucial conversations are either a pit or a path. They're one or the other. They're either a pit that keeps us stuck and mired down and inhibits our capacity to achieve our growth and our mission, or they become a path upward. Here's the magic of it. What we know is that crucial conversations can become an acceleration of intimacy. And you know that. Crucial conversations held well. When we don't work around the truth, we work through it. When we find a way to absolutely respectfully and absolutely candidly discuss our concerns, it actually becomes a trust-building accelerant and builds intimacy of an unparalleled nature in organizations, in teams, and in families. So here's the key takeaway. What crucial conversations are you not having or not having well? What crucial conversations are you not having or not having well? That changes the game. It changes everything about a relationship, whether that's a relationship at home, whether it's a relationship with an adult child, whether it's a relationship in a business with a new endeavor in business, whether it's a relationship at school. It all comes down to that. And that crucial conversation Second takeaway can either be a pit or it can be a pathway to greater 
intimacy. It was a talk that spanned about almost an hour. It is worth whatever you have to do to get it on CD or DVD and watch that whole talk. It will change everything about your life. The second clip I want to show you today is by Wilfredo de Jesus. And he's a pastor in Chicago, and he's been named by Time Magazine one of the most 100 influential people in the world today. He's got a great heart, and he's talking in this section out of a passage in Ezekiel chapter 2. I call this Stand in the Gap. I look for someone among them who will build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. The word gap here in Hebrew means, Ibaniah means between two places. God himself said, I look for someone among them who will fill the Ibaniah. And look what he says. And I didn't find no one. Not one man, not one woman who would be willing to fill that gap, who would stand in the gap. A gap, by definition, represents a place of weaknesses, a, a place of vulnerability and danger. Gaps exist all over our countries and, and our villages and our cities. You would say, well, Pastor Choco, we've always had gaps. This is true. But today, the gaps are wider and more destructive. And that question, even God is still saying, I'm looking for somebody who will stand in the gap. And as a pastor, I decided in Chicago that I was going to engage that gap. And we as leaders, lay leaders and pastors, we must engage our community. You must engage your community. Not only the 50 that come to your church, not only the 1,000 that come to your church or 200, but the entire community, you have to see it as your church. You say, well, Pastor Choco, how do, how do I see the entire community? We must do we must do what Jesus did. He sat with the lost. He ate with the lost. He conversed with the lost. He, he sat with people who didn't look like you and I. One day I called one of our ladies of the church, the leader, and I said, I want you to go out and I want you to go hire me five prostitutes. She said, you want me to do what? <laughs> I said, you heard me. I want you to go out and hire me five prostitutes. She said, Pastor Choco. I said, just go do it. She went out, came back two or three hours later. Five women came out of her car. They were a mess. Mini skirts. They looked like they were drugged up. And then she came out to say, Pastor Choco, the one on the right says she'll charge you $50. The one over here says she'll charge you $35. And the other one here says she'll charge you $40. And in total, it was like $220. And no problem. I went to the five women and said, here's, here's your $50. Here's your, here's your $35. Here's your $40. And one of the girls came out and said, what would you want us to do to you, sir? I said, I want you to follow me. Now, I know this is being watched around the world. <laughs> and so I took, I took the five women. I said, follow me, follow me. And they came in. They came into the church. And we decked it out with linen and candles and roses. And I pulled up the chair. And I said, now, sit down, honey. Sit down. I said, I got you for one hour. I'm going to tell you about a man who stood in the Ibanayim who stood in the gap for you, who loves you. And for one hour, they stood there crying tears. They stood up after the one hour and said, no one has ever treated us this way. Here's your money back, preacher. We don't want your money. To the glory of God, some of these women are involved in ministry now. Why? Because you approach them, you engage them. 
We must not be afraid. We must not be afraid to take our faith into the communities. Fear is the absence of faith. I have a new idea for a ministry. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Kevin. I apologize a moment ago. I made the, the first mistake I made in the last five minutes of my life. Uh, I said Ezekiel 2 is Ezekiel 22, where there's this important word, this important word, the gap. Who God says, who's going to stand in the gap? He couldn't find anybody. And it's, it's a parable of our lives. There are gaps all over the place. There are gaps here. There are gaps everywhere. And who's going to stand in the gap. And so that question just lingers in my mind all the time. What gaps are we going to stand in? What gaps do we have the faith to stand in, realizing that God wants to use us, God wants to do something with our lives, but we have to stand in the gap in order for him to do that. The third clip is by the founding and senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, Bill Hybels. And he talked out of John 10, about two different kinds of people, two different kinds of people in your organization, two different kinds of people in your church, one you can trust, one you can't trust. Out of John 10, I call this your legacy play. Third thing you need to know about these hireling types is that if a predator threatens the well-being of the sheep, this hireling will be the first to run for safety. He will risk precisely nothing for the sake of your sheep because neither you nor they mean anything to him. On the other hand, Jesus said there's a totally different kind of leader out there. Again, he's talking in the metaphor of a shepherd. He says there's another kind of shepherd. They're owner types. This kind of shepherd, Jesus said, actually cares about the sheep. And they have a long-term view of caring about the sheep. And if a predator threatens the well-being of the sheep, if you can believe this or not, this kind of shepherd will literally lay down their life for the well-being of the sheep. Now, this was a masterful teaching from Jesus because he was both bearing witness to his true identity as the good shepherd who would willingly and lovingly lay down his life to atone for the wrongdoings of the whole world. And it was a warning to all the rest of us in leadership to learn the difference between hireling types and owner types. Mastering this discernment skill can save your organization a boatload of heartache. I guess what I'm really talking about in this third hard-fought leadership lesson is finding and developing leaders with a legacy mindset. Leaders with a legacy mindset. These days, as I add staff and give emerging leaders larger roles on our staff, I make no apologies in the interviewing process for asking the kinds of questions that will help me discern who is a hireling type who's a short-term ladder climber and who's more of the owner type who wants to dig in and make a legacy play. Legacy leaders are the only ones willing to pay the price to really fix a broken culture because they're going to live in it and they're going to love the people. Legacy leaders are the only ones who will write out rough patches and all organizations have rough patches. Legacy leaders are the only, only ones willing to address the long-term economic viability of the organization or to get real serious about leadership development because they are working for what I call 
the grander vision. They're working for the grander vision. Now, hireling types, ladder climbers, short-termers, are fueled by, often fueled by personal ambition, self-advancement, self-aggrandizement. Legacy leaders run on a higher quality fuel source. Often, it's to please the God they love. But sometimes, it's as altruistic as simply wanting to give their one and only life to a cause beyond themselves. Either way, legacy leaders are the one who leave something beautiful behind when their hourglass is empty. A church, a school, an organization runs on the hearts and minds of legacy leaders, legacy people. People who have the, the vision that's long in their minds. People who say, yeah, there's a problem here, but let's wrestle with the problem. Let's take the problem apart. Let's put it into manageable pieces and let's work through it one by one and get to the other side. It's legacy people that drive ministry. It's legacy people that end up changing the world. And really there's only two kinds of people. There's three. There's people who, who don't do a whole lot of anything. And then there's people who want it for themselves. And there's people who want to give their lives away. When you give your life away, when you make the legacy play, I think God just stands up sometimes and cheers you on. When you make the legacy play, you are changing somebody's life. How can you make the legacy play that changes everything? The next clip is a really short one. It's by Alan Catherine Kajina. Let me tell you about her. She's the director of the Ugandan Revenue Authority. It's just like our IRS. They are the tax collectors in Uganda. And she sort of worked her way up and finally got the top position. But her heart was troubled because the, the URA was known for greed and corruption. And she is a follower of Christ. And she was, was hurt that the organization that she was about to lead was known for greed and corruption. So here she is. Imagine being the head of the IRS. And she has to make a bold move. She has 2,000 employees. She fires them all. She says, you all are out of a job. She said, now you can reapply if you want to. We're going to eliminate 500 of these jobs. You can reapply for the 1,500 jobs that we're, that we're keeping. But when you come back, we're changing the way that we do business. We are going to serve the people who pay their taxes. She turned the organization upside down and inside out. And this is what I call the courage to change. This is not about me. It was always God's idea. It was God's idea because he didn't just want us to have a good name, but he wanted to serve the people of Uganda. He wanted the children to have a chance to go to school. He wanted medicine in the hospitals. He wanted communities developed. And this organization, this public institution, was just standing in his way uh, because just did not acknowledge God. I am so convinced that if we will invite the kingdom of God to where we are in the public areas, in business, in some churches, I believe, 
I believe that God will take over and will begin to see better societies. It has happened in URA, it can happen anywhere. I thank you. She is, she, she, she finally has position and she wants to use her position and the earthly power that God gave her for the kingdom of God. The next time you get a letter that says you're being audited, you write him back a letter that says, I'm praying for you. Or you write him back a letter that says, let's just shut the whole thing down and start all over again. That's what she had the courage to do. What are we doing to serve, to give? How do we bring God's values and God's principles into the society that is here for the benefit of all of us? Tyler Perry, I didn't want to leave you today without showing you Tyler Perry or Medea. Tyler Perry uh, has had an amazing career in Hollywood and on the, on the big screen. Uh, what was most poignant to me was when he talked about, about God and forgiveness. So I call this Tyler Perry theology. She died in 2009, and, and losing her was very, very difficult. But what I know about it is that God doesn't make any mistake, mistakes. And I also know that had it not been for her, I don't know who or where I would be. She gave me a foundation. She didn't have some legacy. She didn't have millions of dollars. She didn't, you know, she barely had a, a, a high school education. But what she gave me has become the thing that has sustained me through everything. And that is my faith in God. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's, you know, Part of my profession is to read and uh, to absorb theology and great writings and then try to put them into sermons that help people. One of the best things I've ever read about forgiveness came from a theologian named Tyler Perry, <laughs> and this blew my mind. You said, it takes an enormous amount of energy to get through abuse or betrayal but it takes the same amount of energy to forgive the wrongdoer. You can't just flip a switch. Yeah, yeah. It's profound. Some people think, I think, that forgiveness ought to come like that, by right. quick profession, right. by a wish. Especially Christians, and they're so hard on themselves because why can't I get over this? Why can't I forgive this? This happened two months ago. This happened five years ago. I should be over this. I should be over this. But what you don't understand about that is the exact same amount of energy that it took for you to go through the betrayal, the pain, the struggle, all of that is, is real. You felt it. You dealt with it. It hurt. It was horrible. And you can't just turn on a switch and it goes away. It takes that same amount of effort and energy that it took you to make it through to get to a point of forgiving a person who betrayed you. That's what I found for me. Yeah. In order for me to forgive my father, it took a very, very long time. Because what I realized is that I was connected to the anger at him. I was connected to, it was my fuel. Yeah. Everything in my life was, was based around how I'm going to be successful just to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you something just for, it was all about him. It was never about me. And once I forgave him, the fuel that used to, to move me along in my day-to-day -day life didn't work anymore. So yeah. that is what's so scary about forgiveness because you give up the hope of that, what has happened to you. You give up the hope of that ever being any different.
So that is what, what a lot of people find difficult, but I'm telling you it is the most freeing thing you can do for yourself because the person that you have not forgiven is living their life most of the time, happy, yeah. not even yeah. thinking about you. And yeah. you are carrying it every day what they did. Yeah. You do not deserve that and they do not deserve to still have that kind of power over yeah. you. Yeah. Don't deserve it. Absolutely. All right. Tyler Perry was abused and beaten by his father. He was told at one point by a teacher that he wasn't really gonna be able to achieve his dream, that the whole system was, was built to work against him. And yet through his mother bringing him to church, uh, through his understanding of God and God's grace, uh, he's become an amazing person of influence in so many areas of life. In 1890, Thomas Edison founded the Edison General Electric Company. GE today has 327,000 employees around the world in 100 countries. Their R&D budget is $3.9 billion, and they spend $1 billion every year just on training, leadership training. They are north of a $160 billion company. The head of GE, the CEO, is Jeffrey Immelt. And Jeff talked about many, many leadership insights and, and management insights, but right at the end, he was asked a, uh, a question about his, his faith, his life on the inside. And I thought this to be very interesting because here you get to look at the inside workings of a CEO's mind, uh, a CEO who stomps all over the world, and yet it kind of comes down to this one thing. I call this CEO in the pew. Okay, Jeff, one last question. And uh, so, I, I mean, I'm not trying to start trouble. Uh, I know your wife is a little bit more regular in her church attendance than you are. <laughs> now, so uh, the most diplomatic way that, that I want to, uh, to address this, uh, when you do join your wife and you go to church, okay, and let's just say it's not even the, the current church that your family goes to, but if you were to show up at a church and you had worked an 80-hour week and you were pretty tired out, you walk into a church service what would you hope to experience if you could just say, oh, here's what would feel great uh, if I could experience this in a church? What, what comes to mind? You know, I, I'd say, Bill, going back to the point, the last question you asked is, you know, big leadership jobs like yours or big company like GE, things like that, you're, you're on all the time, yeah. right? And people look to you all the time. Yeah. And it probably took me uh, being CEO a couple years to really, I started saying less because people like thought everything coming out of my mouth had but, meaning. Yeah, Sometimes I was just babbling, yeah. right? No. Yeah. And like, yeah. God, I didn't really mean it that way. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. And, and so I think you train yourself to regenerate maybe just in a couple hours a week is all it takes 
to be able to do it again, right? And I, and I think leadership, going back to the point on leadership, leadership is this intense journey into yourself. It's how much you're willing to learn, how much you're willing to give. It's about self-renewal, self-reflection, uh, uh, just resiliency and things like that. And it is, uh, I go to uh, New Canaan Presbyterian Church in Connecticut, and the ability to sit for an hour and be at peace and, and listen to somebody else talk, right? <laughs> other than me, right? and just get a few yeah. ideas or just, or just be at peace. I, I think for uh, that is... Uh, that is priceless. That that is that is worth, uh, and I can't even tell you how how valuable how valuable it is. Yeah. All right, let's thank Jeff Himmelt. Thank you very much. Wherever you are in life, wherever you are as a leader, wherever you go each and every day, you need a place somewhere where you can be quiet. You need a place somewhere where you can find peace where you can hear again the values of the kingdom of God and let them filter into your heart because the world is a busy place. It's a hard place. The challenges come at you hot and heavy all the time. And, and some days you just get beat up and, and you fall down on the couch when you get home or you fall into bed and, and tomorrow is going to be too soon coming. We all need this, this place. We need a place and God has ordained that place and he calls it church and it's not just being out there being in the gap and changing the world it's being here and it's being quiet it's allowing the voice of the Holy Spirit to whisper to you about who you are and who you could be and and, and simply how much God loves you let that wrap around you this morning feel lifted up by the fact that the God of the universe loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you that you can have eternal life. And we need places like that. And Jeff Immelt just reminded us about that. Last clip. Bill Hybels closed us out with a, a challenge in his, in his message. And he talked about what I call two pictures, and these two pictures tell a profound story. For what it's worth, in the last 20 years, I've never seen a single leader drift into becoming a legacy leader. The drift in life, as you all know, is toward a lesser vision. The drift is always in the direction of self and safety and comfort. Can I remind you one more time that this is the only dash you get to do? This is the one and only life on this earth you get to live out. Please don't go to your grave without tasting what the Bible describes as life that is truly life, a life that involves a grander vision and a legacy play, a life that leaves something beautiful behind when your dash is done. Now, speaking of leaving something beautiful behind, can I show you two pictures of stuff that my dad left behind when he suddenly died of a heart attack at 52 years of age. The first is a boat, okay? Now, you can't tell it from this picture, 
But that was once a very expensive, custom-built racing yacht that my dad fell in love with and purchased sight unseen in Ireland. He and a few buddies flew to Ireland, sailed it back across the Atlantic Ocean, up to the Great Lakes, and eventually to a small harbor town in Michigan where he taught our family how to sail. That's where I learned how to sail in the boat I learned to sail on. I grew up on that boat. He found endless pleasure on that boat. When he died, uh, we knew as a family it would take so much money to keep and maintain it uh, that the better choice would be to sell it. So we sold it. We lost track of it. It's had several owners since. It's now in total disrepair in the back lot of a marina where the boatyard owner told me the other day I could buy it for a buck, a buck, a dollar, if I would remove it from his property. <laughs> from being one of my dad's prized possessions to something worth a buck. Contrast that with something else my dad left behind. A large parcel of land in Upper Michigan that just before he died, he donated to our church so that maybe someday we would build a camp on it. Well, we did build a camp on it. And these days, hundreds of Willow Creek dads spend four days there each summer, and they spend time with their sons, and they spend time with their daughters. This spring, we dedicated a new worship chapel at the camp. And for generations to come, this is going to be used by God to deepen relationships with dads and sons and dads and daughters. And as we dedicated the chapel, our elders went up there and we dedicated it. I was so glad my dad made a legacy play. He had a lot of resources. Some of it went to legacy plays and others of it just frittered away. But I was really glad that my dad left something of greater value behind than just a sailboat worth a buck. Now, may I ask, have you given any real thought to what your legacy will be or what, what of value or beauty you will leave behind when your dash is done? A grander vision. It kind of all comes down to that. What do you see in your life? What do you see coming out of your life? What do you need to establish as the future of your life. Yeah, we need a place where we can come and God can wrap his arms around us and remind us again that he loves us so much. We need buckets of amazing grace poured over us every day. And yet, there's a gap that you can stand in. There's courage that you could have to change something. There's this, this sense of, of your life your one and only life being special, and you get to spend it all for God's purposes. There's this legacy play for a grander vision. And so I was challenged this, this year at the Leadership Summit. What I learned again was to think about the, the grander vision, to think about the legacy play, to think about what it means to, to rise up and to do something in a gap somewhere that changes everything. And it all happens. It all happens when something simple takes place. When you just go, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's give it everything we can. Let's give it our best all the time. And that's what I hear in my heart today. And that's what I call you to hear in your heart today too.
Dear Heavenly Father, press into our hearts these, these lessons, lessons about courage and lessons about leadership, lessons about forgiveness, lessons about having crucial conversations. Father, allow us to be the church, the hope of the world, the church, a light in the world. Father, we, we wrap our arms around you as you wrap your arms around us. Heavenly Father, guide us into a grander vision today and always. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.